Hey, I'm Danny Mazer, and you are listening to the Soul Stories podcast, an extension of Soul Stories, where we curate spaces for difficult conversations and create connection through dialogue, storytelling, and creative expression. On this season, we will be bringing you stories and poetry from an event we hosted this past April. It was called Unpacked, a creative dialogue on consent. Hey, I'm not Danny, as you can probably tell by my voice. I'm Hannah. I'm a member of Soul Stories. Danny and I did this event in April called Unpacked, a creative dialogue on consent. We had 10 poets and storytellers, including Danny and myself, perform pieces on our personal experiences with the topic. You're about to hear Denver-based writer Becca Hannigan speak about unwanted kisses and confusing situations involving consent. I asked her to go first because she speaks so fluently in the murkiness of consent that I wouldn't have wanted anyone else to open the series. Hello. Thank you for being here today, everyone. Um, All right, let's just do it. My first orgasm happened when I didn't want it to. Well, I guess I didn't know that I didn't want it to happen because I didn't know that it was happening or what was happening at all. To be fair, it wasn't as forced as I'm making it sound. This guy was or is a musician who was in my college town with his band for a few days. That night they had played a show and after the show at an after party, this guy and I drunkenly made out in the corner. I'm pretty sure that 99% of his drive was related to the fact that he wanted to sleep not only with a woman but in a bed instead of the sleeping bag and tent that was waiting for him and the rest of his band. I, being the good Christian girl that I was at the time, was okay with just making out, but otherwise had firm boundaries. I decided that we couldn't sleep in my bed because that was wrong. So we squeezed on a couch in the living room. I kept my clothes on. I was wearing full-length sweatpants and a t-shirt. Let me just interrupt myself with a side note to emphasize the fact that in high school, I was taught that modest is hottest. I remember this maxim being hit the hardest at a Christian summer camp before my senior year of high school in which we went backpacking, but were scolded for wearing Nike running shorts, which didn't reach our knees, and for exposing our shoulders. So with that background in mind, let's go back to me on the couch with this guy. I was wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt. Like I said, I kept my clothes on. I told him I didn't feel okay with doing anything other than kissing. Uh, Regardless, his hands were persistent, were magnetic, or maybe like metal detectors in a way that made me think there was a giant chunk of metal between my legs. To be honest, I didn't know what was between my legs. I or my faith or everyone who told me what God thought about such things hadn't let myself find out. Well, he found out, more or less. It was great. It was upsetting. I was immensely confused. Cramped on that couch, he kept whispering, it was okay, I should feel good. I was allowed to feel good and let these things happen. As much as part of me wanted to agree, part of me did not, and neither of these parts knew how to respond. It's funny to me how significant that first orgasm guy is, even now in my memory, even though there's no way he remembers me. It's not like I even want him to. If anything else, I just want him to occupy less memory space in my brain. But, of course, we don't always get to choose what sticks and what doesn't. I do remember waking up the next morning on that couch, and I laugh now at the fact that I felt genuinely surprised when he got up and rushed off very early to meet his band. Were we going to get breakfast, I thought, or have coffee? We might at least laugh at the whole night, act like pals. But to him, I was a random girl who took up half the couch and didn't touch his dick. Obviously, I was oblivious. First orgasm guy at least remembered me the next day. We didn't talk, but while he was playing another show, he went on a rant between songs about wanting to please a woman, but her not letting him. I was amused and repulsed. 
What was he trying to say? It sounded like misapplied selflessness. Look at me, he was saying. I'm such a classy man and a good lover that I care more about the woman. He was probably saying that so he could get with some other girl, someone who would proactively fuck him and avoid sleeping in a tent that night too. I can't help but think about the power going on here, the power he had to decide where the boundaries would actually be or not be in the bed slash couch, regardless of what I had said. His power in leaving whenever he wanted early in the morning, his power of platform on that stage and the microphone. That was my semester of, amongst other things, sexual discovery. Soon after first orgasm guy, I drunkenly kissed another male, but this one was another student to whom I was genuinely attracted in more ways than physical. He was and is tall. Two years older, cross-country athlete, he ran fast. We did a strange dating dance back and forth for half a year, and then again a year later, and then a year later, even after he graduated, it was one of those things. I talk about this tall, fast-running, date-dancing boy because there was one moment toward the end of our time that solidified the fact that it was the end. He had come back to campus just to celebrate my and my class's graduation. Everyone was leaving a party off campus and struggling to coordinate rides, small town, pre and sans Uber. Now, to be clear, at the time, this tall, fast guy and I weren't together and hadn't been for a while. However, he was showing possessive signs and physically attracted signs. He very clearly wanted to ride back with me, which I realized as I got in the back of a friend's car, and he followed, squeezing unnecessarily close, even though there were only two of us in the bench for three, taking the middle seat while I was at the window. He wanted to talk. He wanted to touch me. I didn't want to talk, and I did not want to touch him. He didn't like that. He tried to wrestle his arm around me. He tried to get me to kiss him. I pulled away as best as I could with him on one side and the window on the other. I won't forget this feeling I had with his hand wrapped around the base of my neck as he pulled his, my face toward his. I could suddenly see the potential that this signified, how easily it could turn into something worse, something more dangerous. Now, I know that this isn't even close to many awful cases of violence that should not but have happened to many women and men out there. However, I think it's important to acknowledge that no matter how big or small, there's something absolutely distinctly terrifying about the precise moment when you become aware in your body, in your brain, that you were capable of or are currently being physically overpowered by someone else. It's a feeling of incapability, of absolute subjectivity to the instincts and choices of the other person, whether or not the other person knows how to control them or what to do with them. If you haven't experienced this feeling, I hope that you never do. But at the same time, it's hard to imagine that you'll avoid it throughout the duration of this life, so maybe it's best to be prepared. Or maybe you have the type of body that means you'll always have the upper hand, or rather, the strongest hand. Too bad we can't all have the strongest hand. And when I say hand, I also mean cards. Not to fall into a cliche, but think about it. Some people are just dealt a better hand. It happens by chance, by shuffle, but it happens. And of course, as a result, it's easier for the individuals who have a better hand to win or to at least have more options. While telling a friend about a, this story, about telling you this story here tonight, I relate the basic events of this night with First Orgasm Guy, but I was also honest in expressing my own self-doubt. I could have been more insistent, I said. Mm, you're kind of right, my friend said, or really you could have left. He went on to say that it's unfair for women to complain about these bad dating hookup situations when there's no real physical or life-threatening element, no gun forcing them to stick around. You can just get out of the room, he said. Go home. I found myself nodding along with him thinking, yeah, I could have just left. But then I realized this is a man telling me this. 
It's easier for him to leave if he wants to. Not to be reductionist by categorizing women and men, but women whom I know at least are more likely to be the recipients of social repercussions that come along with these sexual encounters. Women do a lot of the emotional labor, most of the worrying about the circumstances surrounding both the woman and the man, shared friend circles, pre-existing friendship, what people will say, and so on. There are individual identity politics involved and individual identities are likely to be damaged in some more ways if the woman just leaves. I also think of it like a woman trying to get out of a moving car. If the man's driving it and she wants to get out, she should be allowed to ask him to pull over and he should respect the request. It's not up to the woman to open the door and jump out while the car is moving. So I accept the possibility that first orgasm guy was persistent because maybe my body and my tone were expressing feelings that were contradictory to what I was saying and thinking. You can't go there, I said, but did I sound playful when I said it? Like I even knew what playful was at the time? This makes me wonder then if this is the fundamental problem of consent, the irreconcilable gap between our brains and our bodies, the many languages we speak without realizing we're speaking them, when we say one thing and mean another, when we say one thing and want another, when we think one thing but actually feel another. The problem also is that there's not just one gap but two, between my brain and my body and between my brain and body and another person's brain and body. So maybe we should work on becoming fluent in our own brain and body language. But even if or when we do develop fluency, the problem still lies in the space between our language and others. If it relates to language, then the answer, or the closest thing we can get to an answer, must consist of this working on language, on intentional, difficult communication. I mean, what else can we do if not talk about it? Hey, it's Hannah again, thanking you for your time and energy while listening to Stories from Unpacked, a creative dialogue and consent on the Soul Stories podcast. I also once again and always want to thank the poets and storytellers for their vulnerability and honesty. One of the main goals of Unpacked was to offer up these narratives as a starting point for talking about consent. And I'd love to hear from you about how they impacted you. We would also be very grateful if you subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts like this one and share this episode with the people you care about. Also, follow us on Instagram at Soul Stories Denver and find us on Facebook. We at Soul Stories are so incredibly lucky to be a part of this community. Thanks for listening and being a part of it. <laughs>